This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Welcome to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. Hey, we can't have businesses and we can't be great business builders without our customers. And so we are bringing a guest to you today who really, really has a mission centered around helping CEOs and business leaders really understand the voice of their customer and what their customers are saying and thinking. And he also can give us some insight into how he has been a successful business builder. So I would love to introduce you to Richard White. Richard, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, Allison, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, so I've spent probably the last, gosh, maybe 14 years of my life working on two businesses centered around voice of the customer. Uh, originally, a company called User Voice, which... Uh, if you were seeing little feedback tabs on the side of websites, that was kind of our our claim to fame and key invention. Uh, and then more recently, I started a company called Fathom, and we are a free app for Zoom. In fact, we are the number one app in the Zoom app marketplace, uh, and we are an app for really anyone who's on Zoom calls a lot, uh, which is probably most folks listening to this call. Right? I think we're all on a bunch of Zoom calls these days, and I was on a bunch of Zoom calls myself before the, even before the pandemic, and I found I just really struggle with talking to people and taking notes at the same time. And my team struggles with taking my notes and really getting the same experience that I got talking to customers and vice versa. And so Fathom is a free app that records your calls, transcribes your calls, but most importantly, allows you to highlight like the key moments with your customers so that whether it's you talking to customer or someone in your sales team, they can easily take those highlights, ship them into your Slack, ship them to email so that everyone in your company can get that firsthand experience of, you know, the excitement from customers or frustration from customers. So we can all kind of be singing from the same song sheet. Well, and I just want my audience to know that as I'm speaking with Richard, I can see him and he's outdoors in this very lovely green background and we can hear the birds singing. And I think, you know, most of us, when we think about our customers' experiences, we don't think about it being all sunshine and birds singing. Um, it can be quite stressful. So I want to um, tell me a little bit more about Fathom Video and really how you plug into being part of the Zoom app marketplace. So yeah, we got started about 18 months ago and we kind of knew from the get-go, you know, Zoom is the dominant player here. We have to be able to like integrate deeply with, with Zoom, right? It's what everyone's on. And uh, we were very fortunate to kind of work our way into the Zoom app marketplace program. It's, it's a brand new kind of marketplace that just launched late last summer. Uh, and so, you know, if you go to the Zoom app marketplace, you'll see our app at the top or if you just go to our website. And we basically have built out a desktop app that's a companion to your Zoom app. So when you get on a Zoom call, your Fathom app pops up. Uh, and kind of gives you kind of a single button you can click whenever you hear something important. Um, and we also do some fun things on the side. Like we 
you know, I have a tendency to monologue. I think like a lot of CEOs do. So it <laughs> warns me if I go on like a two minute rant and, you know, don't ask any questions, uh, warns me if someone, you know, I'm bleeding into my next meeting and things like that. So we've really taken the approach of starting with a core problem of like, how do we make it so that you don't take notes? Cause no one likes taking notes to how do we make it easy to share moments to how do we just do anything that makes it less stressful to be on a zoom call? Well, and I wanted to talk to you because one of the things that I just love is practical tools. Like you don't, I was sharing this with you before. You don't have to have this incredible, incredible, complicated product, like meet me in my point of need. And so I just, I think part of the reason I wanted to have you on is say, thank you for creating this. Um, because I can think of other people. I would like to have them plug this into zoom on their side. <laughs> yep. hundred percent. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it really is, it's, you know, it's, it's really a fun product to build too, because it's always fun to kind of scratch your own itch. And, you know, I think this is an itch a lot of us have, right? We would love to not take date notes. We love to have less stressful Zoom calls. And there really is something that's, I actually really now avoid in-person meetings because I don't have the like recording and transcript and highlights to refer back to. And I'm now really bad at remembering anything that happened in those in-person meetings, which is really kind of a funny kind of twist. So Richard, you, this is a, a fairly newer company and I want to go back and talk to user voice, but just staying on fathom video right now. Um, it, it's a, like we said, a fairly newer company. What is, what is the trajectory and, and what you say it's, it's free on the, the, the zoom platform, but what's the business model for you in terms of how you monetize and, and how you're making your money or where you're going to grow this company? Yeah, it's interesting. I think both User Voice and, and Fathom have started in similar ways where both start, start both those companies as completely free products. And both of them had kind of natural virality to them. You know, Fathom is something where when you're using on your Zoom call, right, like you tend to kind of tell people, oh, I'm using this to record, right? Is that okay? And that kind of tends to get us more signups, right? And so we kind of see this business as being two-sided. One is giving away this completely free product to end users to use. And then we're building out features that if a team is using Fathom, there's other things they might want to, to have, right? Like CRM integrations, Slack integrations, things like that. Um, there's some really kind of cool use cases around how do we collaborate with people that are not on, on the call or on the meeting? Mm-hmm. Like, this is another problem I want to solve. We invite way too many people to meetings, right? We invite everyone that we might need on that meeting, we invite to the meeting. And so, for example, we have a feature where if I'm on a call with a customer and they ask me a question I don't know, like a technical question, I can click a button fathom within 20 seconds. A clip of that question has been sent to like my engineering team. They listen to the question and they can like either message me back the answer or they just jump on the call and answer. Right. And so team level features like that are kind of where we're going to monetize in the future uh, and keep the core product being something that's completely free that anyone can use. No, well, I thank you for sharing that. And, and again, just such practical solutions that can apply to any, any, any business. I want to go back to um, the fact that this was part of um, an, an accelerator. Is that correct? How did you, what, what team did you bring together and how did you approach the launch of this? Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the second time, this is kind of like my second really funded startup, right? We've raised about $6 million to date for Fathom. Uh, what a different experience. My first startup user voice where, you know, I think we raised 800 K in the first two years, this time we raised 6 million. Right. And I kind of tell people it's like playing a video game for, you know, a video game I used to play, like playing it again for the second time. Right. And I kind of like speed running through it. I kind of remember where the good shield is. And I remember where the good sword is. 
Um, so, you know, my last company, it was, you know, beg, borrow and steal for engineers, beg, borrow and steal for money. And this time I got to start from the, from basically day one with the four best engineers I've worked with over the last 10 years. Right. And the best salesperson I've worked with and so stuff like that. And so it's pretty, I feel like the, this entire business, we've only been around 18 months has been kind of this like startup speed run. We're like, what are all the things we can do and how do we do them four times faster than I did in my last company? Uh, and part of that was the Y Combinator Accelerator that we joined. We were uh, kind of, it's a three month program that really kind of bootstraps you for, you know, fundraising, but also go to market and just really teaches you a lot of mechanics. Um, obviously, you know, kind of fun fact is I was actually, we were in the winter 21 batch. They do kind of two batches a year. I was actually in like, I was an employee in the first batch of Y Combinator, which was 2005. Uh, and the companies, there weren't a bunch of companies in that that you recognize one of them was Reddit, right? And so I was like uh. in there, the founding founding team was Reddit kind of 15, 16 years ago. And now I'm kind of going back through this incubator program again. Uh, but it's really great, right? They, they have great connections to investors. They do a great job of prepping you for fundraising and for go to market. And it's also just one of those things where, you know, I'm, I'm probably one of the, the older people are in those cohorts, like a lot of my friends have gone on into, you know, they run bigger companies or they're in venture now. And so it was kind of exciting reinvigorating to be surrounded by other people that are like back at that zero to one phase. Um, and so I think that's, you know, I think Y Combinator has about 350 companies they've accepted every batch, but they have something like 10,000 applicants, right? So you're really getting a, it's almost like a, you know, like a business school type experience right? where you're getting you know, selection bias of some of the best and brightest entrepreneurs. And you're all comparing notes of, you know, how do you go to market? How do you do hiring? Because a lot of that, those tactics change, you know, nowadays, like month to month, not even or year to year. Well, and this is what I love about talking to entrepreneurs and founders is in terms of like the business world, entrepreneurs and founders are so giving with information and so readily willing to share to help other people achieve success. It's, they don't, they're not, I don't say they don't come from a mold of I've got to keep this a secret, um, you know, other than the confidential stuff. But it, it's right. yeah, it, it really is. It is delightful. I want to talk about user voice um, as you referred to your first experiences with with that and and getting it started. Um, are you now? Do you still are you still part of a, a owner for user voice? Tell us when you decided to make this kind of change and, and bring something new into the world. Yeah, I think, you know, I think every year for about 10 years, I asked myself two questions at the end of the year. One, was I uniquely qualified to lead this company? And two, was this company uniquely qualified to teach me something? Uh, and and User Voice is one of those companies where we kind of went through a number of pivots. And so, you know, it was, it was a bottom-up business. It was a top-down business. It was an enterprise business. It, it had a lot of different uh, angles, and it gave me a lot of opportunities to see different things that ran the sales team or ran the marketing team at different points, et cetera, et cetera. But more recently, I realized I got kind of a taste of like building out new products. And I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I love building new <laughs> products uh, much more than I love kind of growing teams, even though you know that's gratifying too, but I really love building new products. And so that was, you know, kind of the trigger for me. And I was very fortunate that I had some, a great executive team at User Voice and a, a good bench there where I could kind of promote from within at, to find someone else to kind of take over as CEO. And I could kind of assume more of a, a board kind of, uh, uh, level kind of commitment and interaction with the company, which is still going strong today. Yeah, I, I think it's nothing like being in a founder and then being in a position where you're ready to hire the CEO. Like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to move on and get somebody else yeah. to do it. 
Yeah, frankly, once I did it, I was like, I should have done this a while ago. It's, you know, one of my favorite meetings every month is the one hour I spend with the new user voice CEO, right? Hear about all the great progress they've made, right? And then it's like, oh, wow, this is, this is lovely, right? And I think, you know, after a while, it's also great to get a fresh perspective on all of those things, right? I did that job for 10 plus years. So after a while, you know, you, you know what you're going to get from me in terms of tactics and strategy. Mm, yeah, very, very well said. Well, with user voice, you had a global audience, you had uh, clients and, and customers all over. Yeah, we actually started, we, you know, I think one of our early investors was a friend of mine who was, who has a lot of business in Japan. And he actually credit to him. He, he pushed us early on to internationalize the entire platform from almost day one. And that was actually a huge benefit to us because, you know, it's one of those things, if you have a technology product and you try to go back two years into your journey and, and internationalize it, it's a big undertaking. But if you started from day one, it's like, we're just going to bake this in as, you know, cost doing business. It, it's actually not too, not too bad. And so we actually not only internationalized, we had built out our own platform for kind of crowdsourcing translations so that our own users can suggest, you know, better translations of things in the app. Um, and so, yeah, well, I think we were, uh, gosh, I think at our peak, we had like 38 different languages through that platform. Um, and it was pretty fantastic. And so, yeah, a lot of our best customers were, you know, Australia, Germany, uh, even Japan at times, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, I think, kind of unique. I think most of, you know, most tech businesses, you know, start U.S. focused, you know, if you're, if you're U.S. based, but kind of stay there a lot longer than I think they necessarily need to. No, I think that's really good um, insight. And so with Fathom Video, uh, I think you shared with me before that you're, you have your team of uh, working on the product is distributed and in different countries. Yep. So what's the, where are your employees based for Fathom? So we started off in the U.S., but we now have some folks in Australia. We have some folks in uh, the Philippines. Um, and I think it's kind of a, you know, especially in this day and age, a huge, like a, a huge advantage to be not only fully remote, but fully remote and capable of being multi-time zone. Um, you know, obviously great from a hiring perspective, uh, but also I think just great from a competing for talent perspective. You know, if you look at most of the studies now of all the big companies that are thinking about going back to work, it's like, a third of people want to be remote forever. A third of people want to go back to the office, you know, full time. And a third want something in between. And I just look at that and say, well, no matter what these big companies do, two thirds of their employees are not going to be happy about it. And I'm kind of hoping I'm, you know, myself and other kind of remote first and remote only companies will be there to kind of, you know, waiting for those moments to go pick up some great talented folks to, to join our team. Well, great. So I want to, You've had this wonderful experience working in your career, like you said, of, of building and leading user voice. And you've shared how, the, by contrast, you're getting to do it all over again. And, and kind of, I love the analogy of playing the video game and you're like, I know where the sword is. I know where the shield is. Um, I usually say, what's the advice that you give to other entrepreneurs? But I guess I, I want to ask you, what advice did you give to yourself going through it again? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the two biggest things going through it the second time, uh, one is that ability to kind of, I think one of the challenges are when you're first startup is like, you don't know all the levers to pull. Like, I didn't know what marketing was. I didn't know what sales was. I didn't really know how to do fundraising, right? And so this time it's like, you, you, there's a lot less unknown unknowns. Um, and so I think I gave myself a lot of permission just to really go with my gut this time. Being like, okay, you spend enough time in market. Let's, let's go do the things that, 
maybe your lawyers aren't crazy about or your whatever your finance team isn't crazy about just like lean into whatever feels uniquely you um i'll give you an example um one of the things we're doing with our early users is we're building like a you know customer advocacy group it's like you know our top users we invite them to a club we send them you know a box of swag and you know get them vip support that's pretty standard but we're also giving them small amounts of equity in the company itself um, and this is something I saw some crypto projects do last year, and that was really cool. And it was one of those things where it's like our lawyer, our legal team didn't love this idea. Yeah, but that's an interesting. That few, so, so yeah. say that again. Your 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 user group, you've, you're giving them some equity in the company. Correct. So we're we're basically functionally making some of our top users advisors to the company, and you know having advisors is not new, right? Most right. companies have a handful of advisors. But we're having hundreds of advisors. Um, and so I think that's kind of the, the, a, a very different thing. And I saw a few other companies do it. And it's one of those things. I think on my first journey, I first startup journey, I might have been hesitant to do that. I'm like, ah, oh, someone tells me it's a little too crazy. I don't want to do it. But this time around, I'm like, no, crazy is good. That means it's <laughs> differentiated. That means it's not yet, you know. I think anything marketing wise, if it's if you're hearing it from everyone, that means it's no longer the Northwest Passage. Well, we like disruptors want, here. So, so we, we yeah, like this. Yeah. So, uh, and it's been fantastic, right? Like, I think it's, it's amazing, you know, because we have that alignment with our users, especially our core users, you know, sometimes a lot of times I have questions, right? How is this feature working for you? What if we built it this way? And, you know, one of the biggest, most challenging things is get good feedback from users because they're busy. They have a lot of things to do. Well, it turns out when you incentivize them by aligning them and saying, Hey, you have an equity upside in this company too. I think the last email I sent out to that group asking them some question about some user research question, I got like a 91% reply rate, wow. uh, which is just unheard of from a user research campaign. And, you know, so uh, it's stuff like that where it's just kind of like, you know, you know, did we spend 25K on like swag like in month four? Yes, we did. But because I knew like this is going to happen, right? I had like high conviction that this is going to work and we're going to need to scale it up very quickly. So let's not waste time. Let's go fast. And the team that your core team that you founded this with, you said before that you got to, um, to take some of the people with you that you've, that you've worked with and you've, you've trusted. Um, Did that also help you be able to move faster? Are there any kind of um, I want to say, ground rules that you would advise other people about those, those close core business partners. Like we always talk about co-founders and, and being really clear on the relationship between co-founders. Um, how did you set up that initial kickoff team? Yeah. It, you know, I'm very fortunate kind of, you know, it's one of these things that's like not replicable, right? It's like, Hey, go, go work, go build a business for 10 years and then take the best people you worked with and hire <laughs> them. Really. That's, that's my hack to moving fast. Right. Um, <laughs> Not completely replicable, but replicable. But um, yeah, and I think you know, technically, I'm kind of a solo founder, so it's an interesting dynamic where I think because they all knew me in this context as being the CEO before, we had we knew we knew our working styles very well, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you know, I think in my previous startup, there was there's honestly like tension about who's going to be the CEO and who's going to be this and that, right? And in this case, it was like I had a great team that is a fantastic amount of executors. But none of them wanted to be there. You know, it wasn't even a question. It's not like they were like, oh, maybe I want to be CEO. It's like, no, no, like we don't want that job. We're glad you want that job. And so it, it's kind of nice not to have to have that kind of like strong clarity from day one. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. So I have to ask, you are, you know, you, you're just a person that's so full of energy and you've achieved so much. Um, what do you do for life balance? 
What do you do to kind of relieve that stress? Even though I know I can tell you get jazzed by this product development and doing all these new things, but. Um... I, uh, I, I ski a lot actually. And since the pandemic started, I actually have been mostly nomadic since kind of like yeah, August of 2020, I was living in downtown San Francisco. And at some point I realized like everything's boarded up here. I no longer have to walk to an office. Why do I live here? And so I think the last 18 months I've spent about, eight of those month in, months in Tahoe in the summer. And then in the winter, I generally travel around two to four weeks at a time, a different ski hill. And that has actually been really good where I can, and this is such like a bougie thing to do, right? But like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, and I don't do meetings on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So I also make sure I have d- days where like, I don't allow people to book meetings with me. So I have time to think, I have time to do my own, the, the, you know, I still have projects I own too, right? We're only a 12 person team. But I'd say some of the most impactful stuff is like I go skiing and I'm just like either sending emails on the lift or just ruminating on whatever the product problem or marketing challenge is. And I usually come back from that, you know, that two hour kind of morning ski session, really energized to like jump into some work because I've been thinking about it constantly for two hours. Right. And so it's a, it's a good old hack where, you know, I get to get out in nature. I get to get a little, you know, get a lot of activity uh, and, and still kind of be on the clock a little bit. Well, our brains need space to think. And I'm a terrible yeah. person for meditation. People are always telling me, you know, you need to, to meditate. You need to, and it's really hard when you're an A-type and your brain doesn't shut off, but I do, uh, I have a dog. And so the dog walks will be like, okay, go and clear your head. Just as you said, um, how you do it. Now I'm imagining you on a, on a ski lift texting and trying not to lose your phone in the process. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a lot. I like a, I have like a, one of those little rings. I'm like really paranoid about dropping my phone on the lift because that would be a real productivity buzzkill, right? But yeah, <laughs> no, I'm 100% with you. I don't, you know, I don't meditate well at all. I don't lay on a beach well at all. Uh, my like form of like meditation and Zen is like going 50 miles an hour down a ski hill, right? That's when I feel the most calm and like checked out of work and moving on and my brain's on something else. So I totally get it. Do you know what, this is going to sound terrible, where I am like most Zen is sitting on an airplane, <laughs> I think, because I'm, I'm forced to just be in the moment on, in that airplane seat. And I'll usually uh, take a book or, or do something. I don't know. It, it's, I think we all have to have our own way. I, you know, honestly, I've sometimes considered booking flights just to get work done because I am hyperproductive <laughs> on an airplane. Cause there's nothing else you can do. You're kind of stuck on this thing. And then for me, there's also like an air or like an air of like, this is going to sound bad, but like competition where I'm just like, I'm going to be the hardest worker, harding, hardest working person on this plane. Right. Like no one else is playing this game with me. They don't even know that I'm playing this game, <laughs> but I have my head and playing this game of like, ah, while everyone else is napping or watching movies, I'm going to send a hundred emails and something about that really works. Uh, no, Richard, I just did that going to Vancouver. So I, I get it. I'm like four and a half hours uninterrupted on the airplane. Um, and I'm the best. I'm, I'm a really great long haul traveler because I've done international oh. work for so many yeah. years. And yeah, it's bad. I'm like, okay, I can, I, I'm going to have a 12 hour flight. I can work this much of the flight. Uh, but, you, but, you know, the world needs people that are good to get things done. So uh, I'll salute you for that one. Um, Richard, these, our time comes up pretty quick on, on these interviews and you've, you've given us a lot of just, we've jumped all over the place, but I want to come back and close out with, with again, 
anchoring this part about your passion around the customer conversation and um, the customer emotion. So can you just close this out again, talking again, or giving tips to business leaders about what they need to be paying attention to in that customer conversation? Sure. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing I've noticed, and it took me a while to figure this out, is that something gets lost in translation when we try to go from you know, some sort of face-to-face interaction with a customer to some sort of textual representation of that, right? Uh, I, I think back to when I was running the sales team at User Voice, and I remember no salesperson's notes were good enough. Some were too light, some were too heavy, some were just right. But even when they were just right, I felt like I didn't really, it wasn't the same. I kept saying all the time, like, what do they actually say? Can I just see what they said? And I think there's really something to that in creating processes for your organization where you can, whether using Fathom or some other tool similar, right? You can have a way where you as a CEO never lose like basically track of what is happening on the front lines with your customers. Uh, because it's not the same just to read the notes in here, like, yep, it went well versus like really hearing them struggle or succeed with your product. No, I really appreciate that. So as I said, we're, we're coming up on time. If people want to learn more, where should they go and give us that, you know, that push again so that we can go check out uh, Fathom Video? Yeah, uh, it's Fathom.video. Uh, and so actually, if you go to Fathom.video slash pod, which I know is a mouthful, uh, you can sign up and skip our wait list. So we actually have about a 70K wait list right now. So if you go to that link, you will be kind of cookie eating. Say it again. Fathom.video slash pod. Pod. Um, Perfect. Yep. And so, yeah, it's our website. We've got a lot of materials on there. You can read, you know, testimonials and whatnot. Again, we're a free app. So there's really, you got nothing to lose. (laughs) Richard, I just thank you for giving us the gift of your time. And to our listeners, if Richard said something that you think somebody else needs to hear, pass along a copy of this episode. Richard, if, if, um, People want to reach out to you. You're on LinkedIn. You're easy to find. Um, yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best place for me. I'm not much of a Twitter person, but if you message me on LinkedIn, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Fantastic. And so to our audience, always be disruptive and keep your eye on the future. Thank you again, Richard. Thank you, Allison. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.